welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the last episode, I spoke with Elena Mustatia, CEO and co-founder of Bold Health. Her background in finance, venture capital, and being an IBS patient herself led her to start Bold Health. In this episode, I was so glad to meet Kira Clancy, CEO and founder of Beats Medical. Beats, in their own words, aims to empower people with neurological and neurodevelopmental conditions through digital therapeutics. But before we dive in, I want to thank my journalistic partner of this podcast, Brian Dolan, for pointing me towards Kira, who I never met nor spoken to before till this podcast recording. Kira immediately struck me as one of those amazing entrepreneurs who focus less on the spotlight, but more on execution and delivering patient value and outcomes. And now we jump to my conversation with Kira. Welcome. And I'm here with Kira Clancy, CEO and founder of Beats Medical. Kira, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and who you are, and then we'll dive into more questions for you. Yeah. Hi, Eugene. Absolutely. My name is Kira Clancy. I'm a physiotherapist originally by trade um, and then did a PhD looking at the predictors of outcomes of neurosurgery. Founded Beats Medical in 2012 to really take existing clinically proven therapies, allied health therapies specifically, out of hospitals and into homes through technology. Amazing. And at the time, what was sort of the passion, right? What actually made you create Beats Medical? Kind of what was the big trigger? Because especially I talk about this in health and healthcare, a lot of the entrepreneurs, there's a real need out there. And that's why they create companies versus widgets and gadgets and other things, right? So maybe just what was the trigger to start it in 2012? Yeah, I remember the exact moment I actually decided to found Beats Medical. I was working as a physiotherapist in a hospital and my next patient, a person with Parkinson's disease, was 20 minutes late. I went out to find him stuck, frozen at the main entrance of the hospital, unable to move. And this is a common symptom in Parkinson's disease. He was coming into me for a therapy called metronome therapy. It's like a beat or sound wave that helps signal normal movement and help these patients overcome this freezing issue and be able to walk with ease. The only problem was it was only available in hospitals as it needed to be individually prescribed. And of course, he needed this at home, not just in the hospitals. And despite 50 years of the evidence behind this, the most recent systematic review published in Nature on the efficacy of the same, the ability to have it at home just wasn't there. So really, it was born out of, I need to do something. You look left and right. Is anyone else going to do this? And you realize that I didn't want to go 20 years into my career and not try and see if we could make this happen. Yeah, I mean, taking the entrepreneurial leap, obviously, is always challenging. But I think you practicing in the front lines, for lack of a better term, right? So that gave you the big trigger. You know, unlike many other companies that are in the, you know, I put it in air quotes for the listeners, digital health space, you've actually raised almost no VC money, you know, at least according to PitchBook. And yes, I do a little bit of homework here. You've canceled the round in 2017, which to me means that you're actually raising money, but from actual customers, which I joke around, that's actually tougher than raising it from VCs. Can you talk about this a little bit in detail? How do you guys got cracking and a little bit of the history there from 2012 till now? Absolutely. I think users, they are everything, right? In the sense of they will make you accountable for every part of their product. They will ask questions about what's in it for them and how is this going to help them? And we didn't initially plan to 
go B2C. We thought we would be a B2B business. When we made the breakthrough and developed the technology after two years, you see it was instantaneous. Uh, people with Parkinson's struggle to walk, then you got the algorithms right and they could walk with ease. So we knew we'd cracked it and we were doing our, our research at the time. And through that phase, we said, okay, we'll go to hospitals. Of course, they'll, they'll, want to, they'll bite our arm off of this, right? But this was back before the term digital therapeutics existed. What we did didn't look like a pill. It didn't look like a therapy. It didn't look like how you treat Parkinson's disease. But the users in our clinical trial actually said, please don't make us wait. We're willing to pay for this now. And we did some market research on what that price point would look like. And we released direct to consumer and it very much formed uh, part of our bread and butter. As the years went on, we looked at different strategies for scale, for growth as well. And I suppose when you talk to different funding strategies, there's three things that I suppose I've learned from founding a digital therapeutic company. And that is the value of walking away from things that aren't right, the importance of always knowing what you're walking towards. And the real key point is, is walking the journey with the right partners and the right funding and the right shareholders. And I think for us in that scenario, it wasn't long after that round uh, that we attained a project with the European Commission, a multi-million euro project, um, to work for the greater good of Europe in healthcare through the Horizon 2020 program. So really it's about finding, I think, the path and the way through that I suppose allows for sustainability. And B2C was a huge part of that. But our latest model over the last two years, which was the plan from the beginning is we do a lot more B2B now as, as a B2B first business. It's quite a big area around growth um, for us and it's, it's the majority of our focus. But what I will say is that B2C keeps us accountable for the best and the highest quality of products. Because if you are closing these pharma contracts, you've got your health professionals prescribing it. But ultimately, if these are recurring revenue projects. You need to make sure that users are enjoying it, see the value in it, are using it over time. And digital therapeutics will be so accountable for the adherence and the value of the products that they bring to patients, both from a clinical outcomes perspective, but also, as I've learned as a physio, the best therapy program in the world, if you don't do it, won't deliver value, right? I can spend all the time in the world giving you the best exercises for a particular problem. But if you come back next week and you haven't done them, yep. I've really not done you a whole lot of good. So your original, I'll just summarize and correct me, your original hypothesis was you're going to go to B2B. You early on, and I love the trigger of the people in the clinical trial, actually, or the patients in the clinical trial were actually asking you, well, don't make me wait. So you sort of, the hypothesis changed very quickly into a direct-to-consumer. And then as you had growth, you're now focusing on additional channels, more B2B, while still preserving your B2C. Is that a correct rewind? Yeah, absolutely. And we have confidence when we work with a client okay. that know that we can deliver that value to the end user, which is ultimately um, what I suppose the, the end goal of, of this is, you know, do you change lives with it? Can you actually talk a little bit about the pricing? You know, to be frank, I did not look that up, but maybe, you know, the direct to consumer pricing for this. And then I want to also get, I know you've expanded your product line. So I want to talk a little bit more about that as well, but let's start with the pricing. Yeah, so in the B2C, it came down to market research as one user said, our product is euro a day. Um, or close to a dollar a day, right? And as they said, it's the cost of a cup of coffee and it helps me walk to the shop to get that, that cup of coffee. So there are some price comparisons that come there. There is a 14-day free trial um, with our service. And with that, users see the benefit for that and have the option of converting. We see about 70% of those who get started and use it, see the benefit will convert to 
fully paying users, but we really want them to, to see that value. And that's really, really important. We also have a couple of models in B2C, which is our product is reimbursed in Australia and in Ireland by a private health insurer. And that's to an extent still an element of your B2C, right? Because the, the end user is signing up there um, with the, the insurer in the middle. The major piece now that we work with is is pharmaceutical companies to help them deliver their Parkinson's app, their dyspraxia, we have a product in pediatrics, for their neurological or central nervous system conditions. So we very much have a platform approach to central nervous system conditions. Mm -hmm. If the disease has issues with speech, walking, or fine motor movement, movement of the hands or psychology, we have something that can be adapted to hopefully help and be deployed fairly rapidly. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. Okay, here's my question. From what I can tell, Beats is mostly monetized via in-app purchases, and assumedly those are paid by the person using the app. How do you drive awareness of Beats Medical so that people know to download it and make those in-app purchases? I see you're doing some Facebook marketing right now. Can you talk a little bit about how you target people using social media ads? Thanks, Brian. It's a great question. I think, as I said, the largest focus of our business, um, or I suppose what makes up the majority of our business is actually more the partnerships within the pharma industry now. But the B2C, of course, is still very much, as I said, it's an important bread and butter piece. What we see is... I suppose the biggest area that we see in reaching our customers is actually the power of the end user. So yes, we can talk about social media, but even reimbursement in Australia was spearheaded by a number of clinicians and their patients. We didn't have a presence there. Same with some of our endorsements from Europe's largest Parkinson's charities and some of those advocacy groups around the world and even the pediatric ones in dyspraxia, these really come from that value add. And then these users start to tell more users about it. And I would say the strongest method for more users signing up is hearing from other users and likewise those users telling their clinicians. So us getting a two-minute meeting with a neurologist who's a two-year waiting list, it's hard, right? They're seeing our users quite frequently and they tend to be quite proud of the impact it's had and like to showcase that, which then kind of becomes self-fulfilling in a way. So in a word, what is the strategy for them to find out about it? It's making sure that individual user is empowered and they, they are empowered to tell others about it. The power of virality of something that actually works for the end users is powerful, right? So absolutely. We kind of started talking about your Parkinson's product, but I've also noticed you've expanded to, I believe, two more, right? So maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, A, what they are, and B, what led you to expand out to those two, including, I think, the children's product is super interesting. Yeah. So when we first began this digital therapeutics company, and before that name existed, we understood that... Neuropharmaceutical drugs have one of the highest failure rates, as we know, and I know you've spoken in previous podcasts about this. We know that CNS disorders are notoriously difficult to treat, um, and we have a huge amount of pharma companies who unfortunately turned away from those clinical trials in those high-risk areas. But when you actually look at this market as a whole, a lot of this is down to the fact that many CNS conditions are umbrella terms for heterogeneous groups, groups that are very, very different from each other within the same umbrella name. 
And by understanding those subgroups, we can understand more as to where therapies can be effective. So we really wanted to make sure that in building this digital therapeutic, that we made sure that we enhance that impact to the next condition. So we started with Parkinson's in the sense that Parkinson's differs not just from person to person, but within each person from hour to hour, minute to minute. So they can present very differently throughout the day. So by developing that understanding of Parkinson's disease, we were able to deploy our, our core technology to a new neurological condition, that of pediatric, which was essentially a condition called developmental coordination disorder or dyspraxia in children, um, enabling them to work on their fine motor, hand movements, gross motor, walking and balance, coordination and speech, and really deliver these therapies at home. So it was a really unmet need. And again, then as the market really evolved, and I would say in the last two years, we saw the shift of the pharmaceutical industry embracing this as a need to have, no longer a nice to have. We've seen a huge emergence in not only the mass market drug area and CNS, um, but also rare genetic disorders. And we're doing a lot more there than maybe we originally expected. But with 80% of central nervous system conditions experiencing symptoms with speech, fine motor and gross motor issues, despite the medication, you can understand that there is a need to go beyond the pill. There's a need to treat more than just the, the primary symptoms and to meet these patients where they're at. Maybe talk a little bit about Wonderscape. Sounds intriguing. And it's interesting because the way I, I looked at it is well-being and relaxation app. You know, I think everybody I talk to, obviously, just because you have different comorbidities, I think mental health spreads across. You don't need to be sick with a different disease. So maybe talk about Wondercape. Is it something together with your other products? What were you thinking about it? Yeah. So Wonderscape was, I suppose, our response of our core platform to a need. COVID-19 did introduce stresses and challenges on children in a way that we'd never expected or seen before. As I mentioned, we have these four core components of our, our technology, fine motor, gross motor, speech, and this well-being aspect, or from an allied health therapy perspective, psychology. And that module is available to us. We've looked at it from a deployment into children with chronic diseases who may be under stress or challenges, they may have a rare genetic disorder and have those issues. But we rapidly repurpose that module for the general population of children in COVID-19 experiencing stress as part of a pilot. We've done some existing research with the Institute of Design and Technology in Dunleary in Ireland. So we had some preliminary evidence there and decided to release a pilot in relation to an unmet need. And I guess what this demonstrates is first the impact, the ability for the product, the core technology to impact a new condition very rapidly. But secondary uh, to that, I think what it shows is that we can really take these modules and respond to these needs immediately and, and put something out there that matters, right? So it's for us very much a test bed to when, for example, rare genetic disorder companies have come to us, just like we can respond rapidly to COVID-19 as, as a, a social responsibility piece, we can rapidly respond to their needs and release something for them. What I'd love to do, and I think part of this podcast is also, let's hope on, you know, all of our partnerships with Spotify and Apple and all of that, <laughs> as we joke around on the other podcast, The Shot, the goal here is to get the masses to listen and understand digital therapeutics. So maybe you can walk us through and let's pick the Parkinson's product. What is that uh, experience like for a Parkinson's patient from, again, a little bit alluding to Brian's question earlier, but how do I find it? What is it? How do I use it? Um, and what's my, you know, obviously end goal is to manage my Parkinson's and et cetera. So walk us through that experience, please. 
Yeah, so essentially we turn your phone into a medical device. We're independently certified as a ISO 13485 compliance, which is your, your medical device quality standards. But essentially you're receiving that through your phone as a piece of software. Immediately what the user can do daily is daily assessments of their walking and get a tailored therapy for their walking, which is this beat or sound wave, which helps cue and control normal movement. So where that signal to move is impaired in a person with Parkinson's disease, we give them back that signal through the phone. So it's as if to say step, step, step. But in Parkinson's disease, that internal signal is gone. So we give that back. Second piece is they do assessments on their speech. People with Parkinson's can think they're shouting when they're actually speaking at a normal volume and reduce their volume over time. So they get live visual feedback on the volume of their voice, being able to adjust that in real time. And same with fine motor. They can have issues with micrography, small handwriting, and our therapies allow them to work on that, both from being able to understand their needs and develop on that. And this is the same when it comes to developmental coordination disorder, except this condition is not degenerative. So there needs to be more challenges on a daily basis to advance. Um, whereas with Parkinson's, it needs to scale back and scale forward, depending on their performance in that day, in that hour. And this is where our core platform technology is really, really sophisticated. And I suppose very clever in its ability to do that and is why, you know, we've been able to deploy it in anything from a very complicated condition like Parkinson's disease to other conditions that, that might not require so much tailoring. And it's so important that it is tailored to the person with central nervous system condition, as opposed to just the condition. You've alluded before we started recording that you've listened to some of the DTX podcast, and you'll also know that I think Brian, who talks about a prescription digital therapeutic, and I kind of bring into the whole component of versus disease management. I don't think it's versus, but so my first question is, are you, I mean, it sounds like you started with B2C, you're going to B2B, but you're not prescription, right? You don't need to be prescribed, correct? So some of our products enter into the prescription market for sure. Okay. And then this is more in the other areas of our main primary business model now is, is more on that side. But I, what I will say is I agree with you. I don't think it's versus. I think the reality of prescription digital therapeutics is so important that, you know, at the point of care, you're given a solution along with your pill that helps manage the symptoms that persist alongside it and um, working complementary in that sense. But I do think that in the sense of the, the disease management 2.0, as you call it, you have to look at the fact that our patients are no longer passive recipients of care. Even the word patient, it's just not the right word, right? It, patient infers certain things around being patient and waiting for your care, right? Yep. There are more partners in care. And I think digital therapeutics through prescription digital therapeutics and chronic disease management therapies they really put the user at the center as a partner in their care. And having those clinicians to direct them to the right solutions is so vital. And likewise, when we know that 99% of chronic disease care really takes place in the home, right? You hope that they're not in the acute care setting too much unless something has really gone wrong. That's where we need to give them the tools to take control in their hands. And that's where in certain areas we need prescription. And in certain areas, there is some consumer plays that, that are happening. But with the emergence of further reimbursement in the market, I think we are going to continue to see the prescription digital therapeutics winning out that, you know, this ability for a user to attain care when they need it, if the risk is managed, is, is important too. You know, curious, and again, I know you guys are now working with a couple of pharma companies, et cetera. And, you know, A, I'd love to understand a little bit of your decision point because you've had what's seemingly a successful, again, direct to consumer and through the insurance reimbursements in other countries. 
why pharma? Let's start there. And then I'll have a follow on question to that. So for us, it's really about impact. And um, we're looking more at the mass market drug space, but we certainly have some really exciting stuff in the rare genetic disorder space. So when you do look at B2C, it is a slightly longer path in that impact when we know the way healthcare is. We believe the value in partnering for the greater good. We believe that there are things to be learned from pharma, just like there are things to be learned from, from us and, and our B2B, B2C learnings. And um, the fact that our users put their hand in their pocket to pay for our products, and many are still with us after five years, really demonstrates the value creation that is there. But access to those people through partnerships, I think is the key to much larger success. And when you look at anything like using digital therapeutics to enhance outcomes, or even maybe identify new drug pathways for treatment of these conditions, it really rounds off the circle in really ultimately creating a better life for all. We aim to, and we plan into the 20, 30, 40 years, that's how we plan our business model. We think, I suppose, where we're going. And we want to look at a really, you know, if you look at a addressing a billion people worldwide with these central nervous conditions. That will involve partnering, but it will also involve looking at what the output there is in 20, 30 years. So looking to digital biomarkers, looking to what does it mean when people engage with your product because they get great outcomes? What does it mean for the future? And I always find it funny when we first brought out walking therapy, it was our users that said, we want more for our speech. We want something for our hand movement. We gave them that. They said, that's great. Any chance of a cure? Yep. Um, your users will always push you to go further. And having that finger on the pulse while working with pharma helps us create products for pharma that we know are truly um, there to change a life. And if you look at the Parkinson's product, we almost see it as much like a drug as it is a walking stick. You pick up your walking stick every day to make your walking a little bit easier. And um, it's so ingrained in your life that it is something that just incrementally makes that life a little bit better. And that's really where we sit within this is trying to give them the tools to take control at home. So you mentioned, which is amazing to hear from an entrepreneur. I mean, it's a bold vision, right? And that you're planning the business 20, 30, 40 years. So, you know, I'm not going to put a year on this, but as we just talked about the whole pharma, and to me, you guys are a great example of listening to the end health consumers. I also don't like the word patient, listening to the health designing the products that they love, right? And helps them uh, every minute throughout the day. But you get to know their experiences and potentially the pill becomes part of that experience only. But on the other side, you know, there's pharma as an industry. Do you see that merging in some way? Because at the end of the day, you're digital therapy today. We had some other guests that will be aired. They'll say, well, maybe DTX needs to disappear as a term. It's just a therapy. So on that spectrum, DTX companies swallowing the pill inside or the pill companies swallowing the DTX inside? Your two cents with whatever year this is a really interesting discussion. And I think we had this a few years ago. Will it be absorbed by the industry? Will it be standing on its own two feet? I think we've seen a huge value in non-addressed disease areas. So one of them is development coordination disorder is an unmedicated condition. Um, but one in 10 children are affected by it. Um, and all of these children need early interventions. So being able to release products in areas that are previously untreated, um, looking at clinical outcomes like walking, speech quality, you know, all of these physical, actual clinical outcomes to those interventions, I think it's very powerful. So in a sense, I'd like to see digital therapeutics really, I suppose, stand on its own two feet, which involves sustainable business models, 
clever pricing. We cannot afford to make the same mistakes of maybe the tech industry. We're neither pharma and we're neither tech, right? But if we price, say, the Uber of digital therapeutics, it will erode the market in the sense of the quality and sustainability of those products that have to be put out there on the market. So I think we need to tread very cautiously over the next five to 10 years to make sure that we are building these models um, that are, again, sustainable and you know, scalable to the extent of that quality is maintained across the field. So in that way, not being seen as an app, being seen more as a medical device, but without some of the levels and timelines that you need for certain clinical trials for drugs, sitting in the middle of that is a very attractive area to sit. So in answer to your question, I think we should be close partners and friends, but I think that digital therapeutics uh, will stand very well to be good at what they're good at and pharma are good at what they're good at. And working together is going to lead to better outcomes for all rather than necessarily an absorption model where it just moves into the pharma industry completely and gets absorbed by it. So the, the Pfizer of digital therapeutics is on the horizon, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we, we've had some guests that were the something of uh, digital therapeutics as well. So there's different approaches to all of this, right? And that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. So what's next for Beats Medical? I mean, obviously, you already alluded to a couple of things, maybe just in a summary, what's next for you guys? Yeah, so we have some really exciting things on, on the horizon to come, um, particularly the output of this partnership with pharma in the sense of the learnings that we've taken over the last eight years and learning from these major partners and the learnings that they've taken from maybe the last hundred years. So some great things are coming down the track from that and, and we're really excited about that. Ultimately, you know, the goal is to continue to double down on central nervous system conditions and seeing how we can not only improve them in the short term, um, but understand them in the long term. While you begin to try and understand these conditions, you need to create great user experience, great clinical outcomes. As the users say, what's in it for us? Are you collecting data for the sake of data? Because it matters what you're doing for me. So keep bringing that clinical outcome. Um, and over time, that may deliver an understanding that Maybe our patients are right. We laughed at the time, but but maybe that request for a cure, <laughs> I certainly don't think it's in the next five to five years, right? But 10, 20 years, the emergence of digital biomarkers, and they may well be pushing us in the right direction. You know, who knows what comes from that data and understanding of really complex umbrella terms for conditions that are so different. Yeah, it's definitely a tough space and bold of you to, you know, get into it, right? Lastly, we started with you. Um, would love to leave the listeners with what gets you up in the morning? What's your why? Yeah, so one of the things that we try and keep, not just myself, but the whole team connected to is the end user, whether we're developing a new product or our existing products. And last week we had a user join our team via video conference. And he said, I have a degenerative condition which means I get worse over time, which means today is the best day I will have. Wow. And for me, it's about how do we make today better? And waking up each morning and sitting there and saying, how do I make that one person's day better? And if we reach those billion users, it's about that one person's amazing day multiplied by a billion, not an abstract number. But that little incremental change that you can make every day, I think is hugely important. And that's what gets me up in the morning. How do I make their lives just a little bit better with the right pharma partners, with the right approaches, the right products. It expands the whole business decision-making. And I'm really proud that my team are all very aligned to that as well. And you see them making those decisions around, what does this mean for that end person? And what will that mean for the future? Great mission. Kira. thank you very much for joining. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more from Beats Medical and yourself. 
Thank you so much. Lovely catching up with you. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission-Based Media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dillon's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.